This is The Red Center, a podcast about The Handmaid's Tale. I'm Laura June. And I'm Rose Eveleth. And I'm Annalie Newitz. <laughs> and we're joined know. today. No. Um, so today we have a super special guest. Um, we have Annalie Newitz, who is the tech culture editor at Ars Technica. Um, before that, she was the founder, one of the founders of io9.com, um, which is an awesome site about science fiction and science. And she has a book coming out her first novel coming out, right? Autonomous comes out in September. That's right. Um, and it looks amazing. And I'm super excited to write about or to read it and also hopefully write about it. Um, and I'm super excited to have you here. And we're going to talk about episode five of The Handmaid's Tale, which comes out today on the day that you are hearing this podcast, but not on the day that we are recording this podcast. <laughs> um, and yeah, and we're going to talk about spoilers. So uh, just so you know, spoilers. Um, Laura, so June, do you want to talk about the episode? What happens? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> All right. I can do it. Um, okay. So I can do that. So we'll do a recap. Um, Annalie, obviously jump in anytime. Um, we're just gonna do a quick, like, what did we see in this episode? And then we're going to talk a little bit about the episode in general, but also specifically about sort of surveillance and surveillance culture and sort of like the ways that surveillance operates in this world that we're seeing in the show. Um, so episode five, uh, it starts with a game of Scrabble, um, and we've learned that they have played 34 games. So we've like moved forward in time a little bit. Um, and obviously their relationship has changed. Like she is like drinking and they're a lot more like casual. She's more flirtatious yeah. with him. Her legs are kind um, of spread. Yeah. It's like much more just like, it feels like a little bit more out. Um, flirty. Um, and then he gives her the magazine, right? And she says, you know, those are all destroyed. She gets to read the magazine. Um, and you know, he does his little like eyebrow thing that he does when he's like trying to flirt. Um, and then we could jump back in time and we see the moment that June meets her husband, Luke, um, where like Moira helps sort of make that introduction. Uh, and we also see, they make a point of like shooting his hands, holding the phone several times so we can see his wedding ring. So we know that he's married. Um, and we sort of see her meet Luke and we obviously we know that he becomes her husband because like we've seen him in past flashbacks. Right. So we know who he is. Then we cut back to the like modern time, I guess, or like whatever the dystopian time. Mrs. Waterford wants um, June to help with the gardening. And she basically suggests that um, she go and try to conceive with Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is someone Mrs. Waterford says, um, Serena Joy says this is someone that they trust. He's already agreed. Nick is loyal, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then there's a scene at the grocery store again where you see that Emily or is now off Stephen has come back. Um, Mm -hmm. and she's like clearly kind of damaged and like freaked out and like doesn't really know what to do, but she's still herself. And she, this is where we get the word Mayday, um, for the first time in the show. Um, Mayday is a big part of the book. Um, Annalie, you said you have not read the book, so we won't do any too many spoilers. I can't believe you outed me as not having read the book. (laughs) Listen, everyone needs rude. to know that you're not perfect, okay? <laughs> okay. I am planning I, to read know, the book, You know, I pretended all through college to have read it. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, read, I've read a lot of other Atwood. And I've seen the 90s movie, which actually has, has been really confusing because a lot of key things were changed. Yeah, are really um, different yes. in that yeah. movie. It's, yeah, a, it's, it's, actually really a, it's actually a good movie, but it's, it's definitely like a really different view of the story, so... Yeah. Um, well, and also this is like a different view of the story than the book too. Like yeah, there's stuff sure. in here that like mm-hmm. is not in the book at all. And so you have like off Glenn who um, – or off Stephen who was Emily, basically the woman that we had originally met as her kind of like shopping partner. Um, and then you get this interesting scene where you have the new of Glenn 
who basically tells June, like, don't fuck this up for me. Like, you know, like, <laughs> I was in a terrible situation before. This is actually pretty good for me. And, like, I, please don't, like, ruin this for me because, like, yeah, I you really, are associating with this person. I liked that scene a lot because it was the first time that we got a view of class difference. Yes. In yeah. The really, yeah. you know, strikingly because – you know, this other off Glenn is like, look, I was like living on the street and hooked on drugs before this. And now people are nice to me and I actually have a life and I have a home. And, you know, you were just some chick with a Nordstrom's card. And, you know, it's it's interesting because it's, you know, one of the themes of this episode is that everyone's, you know, utopia is someone else's dystopia. So it's I, I like that we see that it's not just the scummy patriarchs who are benefiting from this new order. It's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. yeah, I do like that it complicates things, although I did bristle a little bit at the idea that, like, oh, like, oppressed people would like this because then they're finally provided for. Or, like, it's the whole thing where it's like, oh, people who go to jail, like, at least they get food. That must be nice. You know, like, I, st- right. I like, kind of, like, don't love that insinuation that, like, oh, lower class people will enjoy having this oppressive society because at least, like, it, they're not no longer drug addicts or whatever. I don't know. I had some, like, qualms with that I think that's totally legit. But um, but still, it was it was a good kind of reality check on, yeah. you know, what what's really happening. So anyway, well, also like I do, I do think that there's an interesting thing where like some of the and I I like that they're doing this where they're introducing the fact that like not all of the handmaids are going to resist. Like some of them might be happy with this, some of them might be fine with this, or just sort of might be resigned. And like there is sort of it's it's not a uniform experience, which I like because in the book you don't get as quite as much of that. Yeah, Um, yeah. So so then um, we go back to um, the flashback. We're talking like Luke and and June are having this like date not date thing in this mm-hmm. restaurant and then they basically like have this t- I thought really awkward conversation I that like I wasn't really super wanted into. to die watching this <laughs> yeah. scene it was so <laughs> yes. disgusting and awful it was just also like <laughs> no one I just was like so unbelievable to me like it's just yeah. like so awkward and like the way they're talking it just felt really unbelievable basically they're like well it's not like we're doing anything well like but what if we did and like what would you wear and it was just, like really yeah just, like, really weird it was really bad um, I was trying to figure out if Luke is – if we're supposed to be understanding that Luke is kind of scummy because he also makes this weird comment about like, in my experience, two ladies often hook up in college. And I like that she – really was awful. Yeah, I I love that she responds by like, what? Your experience as a woman? Your experience as a college girl? (laughs) As a lesbian? (laughs) Yeah. And and so, you know, she definitely calls him on it, which is great. But it still was kind of like, okay, Mr. Entitlement, I see that you understand my experience. That's good. Yeah, I remember thinking, like, that. if someone said that to me in the context of, like, are we going to have sex? The answer would definitely be no. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so they go – they end up going to – or they talk about going to the Hyatt, right, where there's a view. Then we kind of get this sweats flashback again where June is goes to – like, escorted by Serena Joy to Nick's kind of little, like, loft thing that he has behind the house or by the house, sort of like a – additional like add-on um and then they like have this extremely awkward scene where um serena joy is like watching she stays to like be in the room which is different yeah. from the book where she leaves yeah. or like she just goes by herself she's not there, um, yeah. but and then they do this very obvious thing where they have the like hotel scene with luke overcut with the like awkward scene with nick and there's like this very obvious like play between them and then there's mm-hmm. this moment where like june um, I guess, like, starts to enjoy this, like, semi-rape thing that's mm-hmm. happening. Um, and she, like, clearly doesn't really know how to feel about it. Uh, and so that happens. And we can talk about that in a second in terms of, like, that scene. So I think that's, like, a weird and, and important scene. 
Um, then we get a shot of Emily, um, and I wrote, oh, wow, they have dogs in this world. <laughs> like, I, for some reason, just, like, didn't think they would have dogs. Um, and she's, like, throwing the ball. And you also get, in this scene, the her, like, you know, wife, this, like, woman who's, like, a high-class woman who she's working for, yeah. Emily, um, clearly, like, doesn't want to do this either. Like, she basically says, like, oh, I think I'm sick. Maybe we shouldn't do a ceremony. And Emily's right. like, you can't be sick every month. And so it's, like, sort of showing us that, like, even the wives hate this and, like, they like some of them are just like I don't want to do like I don't want to do this she doesn't just hate it she's actively resisting it right because we know that we know that um June's uh mistress also hates it but she goes through with it and she gets off on on watching uh June have sex with Nick um so I mean I think it's interesting that we actually see this mistress kind of being kind basically like she's not just you know, letting her, her commander. No, I think, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that it's, uh, part of like, maybe the whole point of the scene is to show that there are, even in this, in this class of, of wife where they're, they're bound to all of these like new customs. Um, she has a lot of sympathy for her damaged handmaid. Yeah. She feels, she touches her too. She like puts her hand on her shoulder. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so they have that scene, which I thought was, like, a really interesting and effective scene um, to, like, kind of show that, like, this is all really complicated and, like, everyone isn't evil. Like, I mean, even if they're doing evil things, you know, like, these people, like, are real people and they have, like, complicated emotions. Um, so then we get back to um, – we have a, a ceremony, right, where we have, like uh, – the commander makes eye contact with her and she's mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? And then afterwards she like shows up to his office without him asking, which is like kind of weird and risky. Um, and basically says like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what are you doing? You can't do that. Um, and then they have this like conversation that is pretty much directly from the book about like love and whether like love is a thing or whether it's just lust or like a marketing campaign or whatever. And like sort of, you see the sort of side of the commander that you always knew was there, but like kind of didn't come out as much where he's like, the classic kind of like nice guy, like nice until you threaten him. And then he goes like full on, like I am in charge. I have power. Like do not test me. Um, and he says this whole thing like, oh, every love story is a tragedy if you live long enough and better never means better for everyone, which is sort of a classic line from the book and sort of a classic line from this whole thing. Um, and you see like kind of June or Offred like come to realize that like he's bad, right? And like you – like she kind of had been lulled into a sense of security I think by him and like he's still like – kind of a terrible dude mm-hmm. um and then she has this weird interaction with nick where he she's like are you an i or not um and he says that he is i think he's lying um but i don't who, what do i know um because he's also like no go to bed before i report you just feels like really cheesy <laughs> like, yeah i i think it's i think it's definitely deliberately left ambiguous and one of the things about that scene that's so intense is that she's just come out of this, you know, horrible meeting with uh, Fred, um, and he, you know, who said to her like, "Your whole point in life is to be a cow to have babies for me or whatever." And like, I don't think he used the word cow, but basically. <laughs> and then you know, Nick is like, "Go to bed, go to bed," and she's like, "Please don't tell me what to do." And it's this super intense, like she's on the verge of tears, and obviously this, this, you know, saying asking him not to do that has like about 20 million layers behind it. Like there's so many things that she's trying to convey with that. Um, and so I think that was a super, I don't know, it was a very interesting scene where she kind of reveals herself to him, her vulnerability. And then that's what made me think that maybe he is an I because he's kind of admitting to something that he's not supposed to admit. But I agree that it could be that he 
isn't really an I, and he's just saying that because he's like, just shut the fuck up and go to bed. <laughs> like, fine. If you want to know whether I'm an I, I'll just tell you I am and whatever. Yeah. Well, and then you get, I mean, like, throughout this entire episode, they're clearly, like, cutting between Nick and Luke in a very specific and intentional way. Because, like, right after that, you get the hotel scene with Luke where she asks him, I want you to leave your wife. Like, right after she's told Nick not, don't tell me what to do, you get her in that room being like, I want you to leave your wife. So, like, there's clearly, like, they're doing a thing with, like, trying to kind of contrast them. And, like, is she cheating on, like, Luke? Is he even alive? Like, what's going on? She knows Um, Luke is dead, right? Or no, I don't know. She's Well, well, she suspects that he's dead. Right, but that's true. She doesn't know. That's true. Um, I suspect that he is not dead. Um, But that's just my suspicion. Um, So then you get this scene, which I thought was, like, very hilarious, where, like, Emily steals a car. Um, so basically they're like, uh, in this like outdoor, like farmer's markety kind of thing. And, um, you know, June tries to kind of talk to her and before they can really talk, she gets pulled away or before she can tell her her real name, she gets pulled away. Um, and then Emily sees like an opening in one of like sort of all these cars that are coming and like letting out like the wives and the sort of commanders and people like that. She just like jumps into it and starts driving around in circles. That's like kind of hard to tell. It's like, where are you going? Like, right. Like, like at first really I was like, what she was I, at doing. first I was like, yes, she's leaving. And then I was like, yeah. no, wait, stop. Don't mm-hmm. keep it. It really felt circles. like it was shot on a course that was like too small. Like it just didn't yeah. have enough space <laughs> in their like actual shooting area to like make it. Cause like, she should just leave. Like, what is she doing? And then she like backs over people and then she just roll like runs over a guy and just like, yeah, she kills someone. Him. Yeah, she kills a dude, which is awesome, and you're all like yeah. rooting for her. I know. Um, I was like, why didn't she kill more? I, I mean, I, kept, I know. I was like, because I figured she was just trying to commit suicide by militia, right? And right. so I'm like, just yeah. take them all out, take out as many as you can. But no, they drag her away, so she's going to have more torture. And I just, I don't know. That was really a sad ending to a kind of a wonderful moment of freedom. Yeah. No, I totally. And I think, like, I mean, maybe that's intentional. But I too was like, well, wait, like, just, just pedal to the metal like just kill everybody like you're, yeah. you have a car like and they're clearly like they could shoot her tires out they could shoot into the car and they're not doing it so like just go <laughs> yeah know? um yeah and um and then so then we get a scene where she you know she comes back um june comes back from the, that market serena joy is like oh, is everything okay i heard you know i heard some weird stuff happened um she's like everything's fine and then serena joy basically says to her like not everybody can deal with this. And like some, but you're smart. You're going to do what it takes. And I think she takes that as a message to like go and have more sex with Nick. And so she sneaks up to Nick's apartment. And this time instead they have this like very, like also very weird scene where she just like gets undressed and undresses him. But like then just like stands there. And it's like very awkward. <laughs> and then they have sex. And that's the end of the episode. It's funny because this episode had, I think about three or four sex scenes that were mm-hmm. pretty explicit and also were one of those rare examples of a sex scene where sex is the surface text and the subtext is not sexual. And I love that this show is able to do that because these sex scenes are pretty intense. Like, they're kind of kinky, they're creepy, they're rapey, and yet they're also able to tell stories. And I felt like that final scene, especially, because we, we've we learned a lot about um, June's kind of relationship with sex by that time and like that she likes to be on top which is kind of a feminist cliche but whatever um being on top is really great so whatever (laughs) but I mean I love how she sort of says that early on it's like all right that's good but um but at the end what happens is like in that final scene she takes the initiative she undresses Nick and then she undresses herself and he never makes a move. And I felt like that was one of the kind of important subtexts of that scene is that she is totally 
um, at least in terms of her actions, she's in control in that moment. Um, and then she does eventually get to be on top because, you know, in all of the other sex scenes that we've seen, she's on the bottom and both parties are, clo- are fully clothed. Basically, it's just like kind of right. unzip the zipper and pull out the wang and and do the deed. And like and there's and that's what adds to the awkwardness of those scenes where it's like these guys are trying to have sex while they're belt is like jangling in their bits it's like, how fun is that not at all right it's we're, we've already seen that fred can barely get it up because it's so weird um so i liked that we got to have that idea that sex can tell a story that isn't just sex um and so that i, I felt like that final scene yes it was definitely awkward but it was also kind of cool it was like a tiny moment of liberation for June and, um, you know, who the hell knows what's going on with Nick, but, um, but at least she got to have some fun. So that was good. Um, so, I mean, like, let's talk about like main sort of like general takeaways from the episode and then we can kind of get into this like theme that we're going to talk about this week of surveillance. Yeah. So one of the things that I sort of have been thinking about is, so first of all, in, in the very beginning, um, and pretty much throughout the episode, we have established, I mean, he's always, like, you're supposed to hate Fred, I know that, but this episode is, like, for me, I'm like, get this guy the fuck out of my face. He's <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> I hate him. I hate him. I hate him so bad. I've never... Yeah. I've always hated him. You know that. I know. I've, like, hated him in the very beginning. I mean, I don't really like anyone in the show, to be honest, but, like, he is... Um, what he says about what they have done to uh off Glenn is like what does he say he's like he's like we removed we, the problem we, it was such yeah. a small problem yes and um I think that we is like probably the most telling word that has come out of his mouth I mean I feel like it sort of establishes something that they have uh hinted at and they I feel like in the book it's also like un, it's sort of ambiguous which is like like he's either like an avatar for or is literally like one of the sort of you know people making shit happen and I think that maybe this is the only episode we've seen so far which is basically all focused on her relationships with men right it's like Fred and Nick and Luke. And they're all kind of shitty to some extent. Um, Though Nick, I think, is like not even, I mean, is he even really a person? It's hard to tell. Um, But, you know, I I feel like you're supposed (laughs) to. He's got got really curvy lips. I don't know. That's that's the main thing about his personality that I know. But I think that, um, you know, I feel like they're like, Obviously, you're supposed to hate Fred. Luke, I think, is interestingly complex because, like, I, I, I don't like him. But I also feel like he's supposed to be um, just like a regular modern man, which is very unlikable. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. But, I actually, um, I was saying, I, I was saying earlier that I felt like we are kind of supposed to like him. I can't decide if the show thinks that we should that we should think that he's like a really awesome dude because like when he meets, um, when he meets June, he's like, I like this picture where you look invincible and it's supposed to be like, he likes strong women. And then later when she's like, leave your wife, he's like, of course I will because I love you. And I'm like, is that like, 
are we supposed to think he's awesome? Are we supposed to realize that he's kind of a butthole? Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I can't tell. I do think that they're continuing um, to do something that I'm still not sure how we're supposed to feel about it, which is like playing, um, what is her name now? Off Steven? Yeah, Off Steven. Yeah. And Offred, um, they're really, they really are contrasted. I think at this point, Off Steven is... um, I do think that like she's basically committing suicide. I I I think you'll I mean, if I had to make a prediction, she's going to be hanging off of a wall somewhere really soon. Um I don't think she's I think she's probably done. Um because she's sort of proven to be like unruly so many times. Um but there's something really noble about that and something really <clears throat> um admirable about just going like I'm I'm out. I'm not doing this. And that's not what Offred is doing. And so it's not even just complicity. It's like she's surviving, right? She's not going to – she's probably not going to (laughs) die because she's not going to like steal a car and just just, like kill a random person um, in a moment of like – the one thing – the one complaint I have about that scene besides the fact that she, instead of trying to get away, drives in circles, though I do think it works effectively <laughs> in that like she seems to have no goal. She's just yeah. she's just going for it um, is the music. The music was really yeah. bad, I thought. And so yeah. the music continues to sort of be a weird – like I was pretty – defending it for a pretty long time. I think it's been used effectively in some episodes, but I think in this scene it was like really weird. Yeah, it was bad. And and I think it was in contrast <laughs> to previous episodes where some of the like that I will be haunted forever by that scene of the super bloody protest with the weird blondie song over top. Oh, yeah, yeah that Heart was, of Glass. Yeah, it's Heart of Glass, but it's done. It's like a, a sort of even kind of wispier rendition of the song. And, you know, and it's just kind of fading in and out. And it's the most inappropriate type song to have and yet it totally worked and I I thought that was kind of like the peak of um you know musical uh uh contrast that worked in this show and then it's kind of in downhill from the blondie moment for me yeah yeah I've been sort of like anti most of the music choices they've been making uh from the beginning (laughs) I just feel like they pull you out so much from like the world and I think in some situations and we've talked about this that's like the point of them um but for me a lot of it has been like really guys like Like when they use the when they use the (laughs) breakfast club song in that one episode where she's leaving the house and I was like are they trying to just tip their hats to the 1980s origin of the novel or I don't so know. So my theory about this, I think, I don't know if I've said this on the show, but like my theory about this is that like they had sort of the world built and they showed it to a test audience and the test audience was literally like, I don't want to watch this. It is too depressing. Right. At the end of every episode, you just want to like die. And so I think like they slapped on a bunch of these songs at the ends of these episodes to kind of remind you like, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. Come back next week. Please watch no, the show. Like, but that's <laughs> not true. I read, I read an interview with uh, the woman who directed the first three episodes, maybe the first four episodes. And she said that it was a really long process where she really thought about the music. She really, um, in building the mood for the show, the music was an incredibly important part of it. And But I even think, those last, like, ending songs? Not the ending songs, no. I, I, I don't know. Because those are the that, ones that are, like, the prime offenders. Yeah, no, I, I was thinking just of the... I, I think she was talking about just the kind of... Um, 
the music within each episode. So I don't, yeah, the ending songs are always kind of random in almost every show. So yeah, but they do, they're very jarring. They're like, oh, now we have happy song that's supposed to be But I think that's the point of them. I think like the point of them is that they're jarring, right? Is that they're like, oh, like, please come back and watch next week. Please don't like just give up on the show because it's so depressing. Yeah. I mean, they do that on Orange (laughs) is the New Black too. Like it's, it's a pretty common trope at this point. Yeah, it does not work for me. Um, I want to move us to talk a little bit about surveillance um, because I think that it's a it's a thing that I you know comes up in the show a lot, like both literally in terms of the the question of like is Nick an eye? Is he not an eye? What does that even mean? But then also sort of like um, to me the most interesting part of the most interesting piece of the surveillance topic in this show is sort of the peer to peer surveillance, sort of like the women checking in on the other women and sort of this like question of who to trust and who you can and can't trust and who's reporting who um, for what. So when I was watching this show in general and this episode too, like one of the things I was thinking about, did you guys read that piece in Buzzfeed by Sachi that's rape culture is surveillance culture? Yes. Or talks about like Mm -hmm. being watched all the time. I kept thinking about that with that show. It's like these women are like so heavily scrutinized and watched all the time in a way that like, I don't, cause you don't see in the show like cameras, you don't see, you know, like a CCTV system. You don't see any of that kind of stuff. There isn't really the insinuation that they're being like wiretapped. Like she's not looking in her room to see if there are like mics, but it's the same like idea that you are just being watched always. And you are always being watched for like what you're doing and why you're doing it. And everybody is sort of watching everybody else. Um, and I guess I'm curious, like for you, like, cause it could have been easy. It could have been an easy choice for them to make, to make the surveillance literal in the sense of like, there could have been cameras everywhere. There could have been a shot, like a London sort of like surveillance room where like you have all those TVs with everybody right. watching. Right. Mm. And I think they've intentionally not shown any of that because the the idea here is that like, yes, there are guys with machine guns, but like everyone is kind of keeping everyone else in line. Right. Um, it's kind of like a see something, say something like culture. Right. Which I, um, I, I do think is like a very sort of historic pre-technological concept of like surveillance culture which is that if you live in a small enough town uh there aren't many secrets right because everybody else everybody's in everybody else's shit that's like that's sort of like neutral way to phrase something like this but i think as you like develop it as a theory of like surveillance it's like it's like censorship the easiest way to to pull off censorship is to get people to censor themselves. So in any, like, I think that like to the extent that the show and the book also are sort of like a weird throwback to um, like not, I mean, I don't know, like it's like vaguely old culture, right? There's things like they're clearly in modern houses with like internet and whatever. There's cars, there's machine guns, but also it's vaguely old. Right? Yeah, there's it's a little vaguely, bit of that like Amish feeling going on. Yeah, yeah totally. or like Puritan, like New England, like, um, you know, whatever culture. And I think that like that is sort of the most effective thing that they're conveying, which is in a in a sort of small interconnected society where you don't know who to trust, um, you basically can't do anything right? Like you're not going to do anything. Uh, you're not, you're in order to step out of line, you basically have to be crazy. And so that's what is interesting to me is that in any society where like normal is defined as like this very narrow thing, anything that steps out of it is you're crazy. 
Right. But I would push yeah, back I a think... little bit on that, like, in the sense that, like, I don't think this is that old of a concept in, like, you know, you hear stories all the time of, like, somebody writing in, like, you know, somebody reporting somebody on a plane for, like, writing things that they think are, like, potentially, like, I don't know, I guess Arabic, but it's math. Like, people report other people for stuff like that now all the time. It's just that, like, you know, the people that we, you know, it's less of, like, oh, this woman is doing a woman thing and more of a, like, oh, this person who is not white is doing a thing that scares me. Um, I think that, like, we are constantly told, like, living in New York, like, see something, say something. Like, if you see somebody doing something, you're supposed to report it. Like, we're, we're like, being asked to do this kind of thing all the time, even in big cities. Oh, yeah, I still, but I just I think, I do think, think it's, like, a very old way of policing people without police you know it it's definitely an old way it's the it's the first way that that people policed each other and i have to say that i the the fact that there's no um high tech surveillance of any kind in this show is like to me like constantly an itch like i just feel right. itchy every time <laughs> yeah. i'm watching because i know that if this really were our future could be our future i don't know there would be ubiquitous surveillance everywhere and um june would not be able to sit in her room and like look at that latin crap on the wall that just would not happen because somebody would notice that she was like lying on the floor and so i think that um you know laura's right in the sense that that part of what's going on here is that the show is trying to evoke this earlier kind of um self-policing um it's possible that they that the um showrunners and the writers thought it would just be way too complicated to try to oh, yeah. imagine this story with um, electronic surveillance <clears throat> who could talk to so, anyone right so this is what's interesting is that um because they don't have electronic surveillance the network of surveillance uh the network of normatization um which is all people watching each other that network is also the network of subversion so in order to engage in any kind of subversion, you have to use the same network that is um, surveilling you, which is very interesting. It, it leads to all of these um, anxieties that the characters have because you have to know who to trust. You have to trust the information that's coming to you. Maybe the information is fake information. Maybe it's real. Who is Mayday really? We don't know. Um, and that is an, And the Mayday network is running right on top of the human network that is also the surveillance network. And I was thinking that um, it, it's interesting to contrast this with a show like Person of Interest, which was one of my favorite uh, shows of the past decade, where the main characters are using the electronic surveillance network as a form of subversion. And they've figured out a, a sort of backdoor into the network and they're using the surveillance network to fight for justice, right? It's a very silly show, but fantastic. And I think um, that that's exactly the same kind of narrative that we're seeing in The Handmaid's Tale. But because our main character is a book editor and not a hacker, uh, it doesn't make sense for her to be, you know, rigging up her own internal surveillance network where she can spy on the spies and all that kind of stuff. She can't do that. But she is a smart person who can uh, evaluate whether, you know, a person that she's dealing with is an I or not. She can try to use um her wiles she can try to use her judgment to do that and so it gives her a chance to kind of be a surveillance hacker um and and kind of even it kind of evens things up uh between her and the powers that are running the show so it's kind of um it's a cheat for sure it's a total yeah. cheat that they don't mm -hmm. have that but it's still it opens up this nice uh area where we can see that um that that surveillance always breeds its own subversion 
Well, I think, I mean, it, it totally makes sense. Like, obviously, if you have too much surveillance like that in the show, it just, like, doesn't work. Like, I, it, like, makes sense in some way to, like, not have that. Because otherwise, like, how is anyone talking to anybody else? Um, Unless they're and, hackers, um, right? They're using Tor. Right. <laughs> well, like, yeah, maybe Emily is using Tor. Like, right? And she wasn't, wasn't she, like, a biochemical engineer before? Like, isn't that what she said? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, anyway, she was a scientist. Um, yeah, but, like, I, I also think that it, it's interesting in the sense that, like, we've seen that they have computers, right? We've seen the, like, commander use a computer. But, like, in a lot of ways, they have rejected a lot of technologies, right? Like, there's no artificial insemination. There's no, like, modern, real modern medicine. So, like, they have sort of, like, pushed away from certain kinds of technology. Yeah. And one thing that I thought or, was like, really it, interesting yeah, is that, like— there's not mass access to it, right? Like, <clears throat> Fred's the only person I've seen with a laptop. <laughs> And right. even but I even think, before, like there's that weird scene early on where the the um Gilead is first taking over and everybody at um June's work mm-hmm. is like, what the fuck is going on? And none of them check the internet. I'm like, wait, yeah. this, they're all like, oh, this new law came down. And I'm like, why aren't you checking? Like, pull your phone out. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but so, so it is I, kind of this parallel world. Yeah. I think that mm, largely the show has done it's actually really strange to think about how different, you know, the book was written in 1985 or six. I can never remember because there's like conflicting whatever. I think it's 86. So the world of like 86 to now, which is not that, you know, like I could read in 1986. It's not that long ago is in, in respects to like how they would make the show is much, much different. And I think, They've done a really good job of sort of updating it seamlessly, like by dropping in references to Uber and cell phones and, and, and Tinder or whatever. I think that this lack of surveillance sort of exposes a weakness born out of their decision to make this take place in, you know, the the time split from like our timeline to their timeline clearly takes place closer to 2016 than it does to 1985. Right. And I think when Margaret Atwood wrote the book, she had not, she couldn't account for the internet and she didn't have to. So the leap for some sort of society that would reject technology, which they absolutely, I think in many, many respects would, it wasn't that hard for them because they didn't have this like all encompassing, you know, there's television, there's radio, um, there's music as referred to a lot, but they didn't have the internet and they didn't have cell phones and they didn't have satellite networks of surveillance and information and 24 hour access to cable news. They didn't have any of those things. And I think that like this exposes something that I will probably, I only really started to think about it as problematic as we've been talking about the surveillance. But I do think that it makes sense to me that these that this like rising like this culture you know that they're trying to sort of create out of you know whatever would be you know opposed to i mean it, it kind of gets back to what you were talking about like you know 2 weeks ago rose which is that like if you want to like focus on on reprodu- like reproducing you know the human race like this is the least efficient way to do it and that's true and it was kind of always true of the handmaid's tale but it's like really gripping because they're like, it's like a weird biblical clinging to ceremony. But I do think it's like, if you want a culture where women have no access to privacy, and I think conceptually privacy is like really 
like a modern weird like when you did like when you deny someone their privacy that's like the basis of humanity right and basically they're left to like only their thoughts and that's kind of the proposition of the handmaid's tale she's thinking this right she's telling a story basically to herself and so this to me rings like it's it's sort of becoming like a like a ballooning problem for me which is that like I get why they would be inefficient at reproducing, even though like that's kind of the whole basis of their culture. But like the 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 inefficiency of surveillance seems to me, um, like unless we're just supposed to think these people are like really stupid and very bad, <laughs> very bad at like making a society. But like it's like I think all the time like this is insupportable. This is inefficient and really stupid, and I could do this in a much better way. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, well, I think that like you know we. The other interesting thing is that, like, we know from the sort of thing about them freezing all the bank accounts, right? We know that they're, like, they have, like, modern credit cards and their credit cards are, like, coded, like, M and F, right? And that's directly from the book where they, like, shut down any card that has an F next to it. And so, like, they have that. You know, you can't have – you they have ID cards in theory. But, like, in the book, there's actually one sort of notable – it's, like, a small difference. But I think it's relevant to this is that in the book, you know, they have these badges, these passes that they have to show at checkpoints. Um to kind of show that it's them and they don't seem to have that at all in this version um you know they all kind of walk around pretty they much have un papers we do see that in one episode where um where june escapes with um moira with, oh, right, right, from right, the Red right. Center. Yep. And they mm-hmm. ask for papers. And I think that's the only time we ever see anyone demanding papers, but that's how yeah. she gets caught. Right. She doesn't right. Have and papers. like Right. And like in the in the um in the book, like they have to show their little badge at like a bunch of checkpoints, even like on the way to the grocery store or right. whatever it is. Like which there's makes just like a sense. lot more of that. Yeah. Right, which makes sense. Um and I think it does seem like, you know, you have these like places and, you know, you have people doing things and you know, there is this um this feeling of like I mean, even in this episode, you have June sort of say to the commander, like, what if she saw you? You know, like the fact that like, you know, the like the commander's wife Serena Joy could see him looking at her and just like literally just the wife seeing that is like a risk and is a thing and like there's like so many like little tiny you know things that could betray anybody as having these like weird relationships but at the same time like if they just had motion sensor lights on their house, yeah. then they would know that she was walking it. You know, like just like little stuff like that. Where at it's the like, same we're time, to believe she goes like into a modern his office world? like constantly, and like where is yeah. his wife? It's nine o'clock at night. Is she already in bed? She like took yeah. a she took a Gilead Valium or whatever. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, I wanted to get to sort of talk a little bit more about what you brought up, Rose, about like the gaze and like who's looking yeah. at what, because that's one of the things that's so interesting in this episode is, um, especially in the sex scenes where it's who's meeting whose eyes and what does it mean? And people trying to kind of convey information just by looking at each other. And that's like what um, June is so worried about when Fred kind of catches her eye and then like squeezes her thigh while they're doing the ritual. And meanwhile, um, uh, Serena Joy is like looking off into the distance and, you know, probably thinking about something else. Um, and so, uh, I, I mean, it is kind of, it's paring surveillance down to its most raw form. Like the oldest form of surveillance is just like, I am looking at you and judging you and trying to figure out what you're doing. And the human eye is like a much creepier form of surveillance than just 
um, you know, like a webcam or whatever, because by looking at someone, you can often figure out what they're feeling just from looking at their expression, which as of yet, uh, AI can't really do that. Um, maybe it never will be able to. So um, I think that's part of what's so creepy. And then I just want to say something that's it's going to sound really like a nerdy sci-fi kind of comment to make, which is... Bring it on. Um, okay, so let's say that we want to take seriously the fact... Say we want to come up with an excuse for why they don't have tech. Um, we know there's been some horrible atomic disaster. Well, maybe Silicon Valley is just gone. Maybe they don't have all this ubiquitous... Um, uh, electronic surveillance because they don't have Amazon Web Services anymore. They don't have all these data centers <laughs> to hold yeah. all that data because that's the thing about doing that kind of surveillance is you need huge data centers and you need data analysis. And if you can't, if you don't have that, it doesn't matter if you're filming someone. I mean, I guess you could have a closed circuit TV, but then you need someone to watch it. And um, so maybe, you know, maybe there's some kind of, we can pretend that there's a legitimate reason that because, you know, they... They destroyed Silicon Valley, and so now they're just stuck with um, staring at each other and, and you know, old, old-fashioned spy networks. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the no one seems to have a cell phone, right? We've seen that one yeah. computer. Like, that's really been, like, kind of the only There's piece definitely, of, like, yeah. technology that we've seen. Um, and I think that, like, yeah, I think they're trying to – I mean, I do think that, like, you know, I don't want to, like – give them too much shit for this because like it makes sense in the context of the show because if if you do have like truly ubiquitous digital surveillance like none of the things that are going to happen in the show can happen right like you can't have people talking to each other you can't have the like you know the mayday like sort of codes you just like can't have any of those things yeah um and i get that like i would it's a better show without you know like Mm -hmm. with those things able to happen but at the same time like it does sort of feel like they are kind of like there's just like there's no closed circuit TV. There's like nobody looking at these things. You know, there's nobody trying to monitor any of that stuff. It just feels a little like – I mean I think that they're trying to make a point. And I, I think I read Atwood talking about this either in like an interview or maybe even in the um, sort of epilogue of the book where they talk about like – and we sort of talked about this on the show before like oppression that happens sort of like – between marginalized groups where it's, like, different, you know, you're harnessing women to oppress other women, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, that, like, oppression or surveillance can be, like, can turn easily turn into oppression, right? Where it's, like, as soon as, you know, you have to worry about somebody finding out about you doing something because they might report you, then, like, you're very well along your way to, like, being afraid for, you know, doing something. Um, and just, like, the way that the, like, women have to, you know, try to gauge each other and try to look at each other and see, are you a friend? Are you a foe? Like, how do you, you know, with these little, like, hand squeezes and these little eye glances and all of those things that, like, if they were truly being sort of, like, biometrically face scanned all the time, you know, you just couldn't have that. And so I'm glad that we don't have it (laughs) because I think it would kind of ruin the show. But it does sort of make you wonder a little bit about, like, if they're so or maybe they're just so cocky and so confident they've kept these, that they're going to keep these women in line that, like, they don't think they need it. You know, maybe that's the thing i mean i don't know like it it seems to be working pretty well i mean i think that we'll see it work less well um i think there I mean, will is be, it like, working no... well it doesn't I, it doesn't seem like it's working that well to me but you I don't have that's... handmaids running away which is kind of like the main thing right like that's what this would be for well they're running away all the time it's just that they're getting caught and killed and hung right. and stuff like that but some of true. them are getting away i mean we hear about i mean i'm not saying this is a good aunts. thing yeah 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 but i i, I think i'm gonna st- i think i'm gonna stick with my headcanon that like silicon valley was blown up and like well, also, all the data centers yeah this is in boston so actually although there are well shit i mean there's a ton of data centers in and around boston yeah. there's akamai they've probably turned yeah. akamai into some kind of unholy 
um, Soromon like thing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really make any sense yet because they're at this tech hub. Um, I mean, I think it makes sense that they've rejected science. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. that's that's the kind of government. But usually, um, I've found that you know, um, the same people who reject science totally embrace technology, especially if it's like defense, quote unquote, defense technology, um, which is what surveillance. Right. Well, they have guns, right? They have yeah. those guns and tanks Not just and stuff. guns, so they, but like you know. high tech guns. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, so, although I guess not, not necessarily high tech guns, but, um, the other thing I was going to say about surveillance is that all of the sex is under surveillance. Um, right. Not by camera, of course, but, uh, you know, multiple people have to watch, before right. they have sex, they have to invite the entire household staff in, which I'm, mm-hmm. I was the first episode. I was like, do they all have to stay in there and watch? <laughs> um, which actually kind of it's that's sort of the implication. But luckily, they don't have to like stay in and watch. But so that's another part of their lives that's just completely under the like I said, the worst kind of surveillance, because when a person is watching you, you know, they're judging you, especially if you're having sex. They're probably like having all kinds of terrible you know, <laughs> thoughts about that. <clears throat> Yeah, no, I think that like right, the there always is like, and the fact that they in the in the TV show had Serena Joy stay in the room when Nick and um, June are like first sort of having sex, like that is that's different than what happens in the book, and that's like very clearly like she has to kind of watch to make sure everything is okay and make sure everything is like still legit, um, or like they're not, you know, even though like she's asked for this, that they're not doing something that. They shouldn't be doing. But don't you think um, there's also the implication that she's kind of getting off on it? Because we see this one moment where she kind of like gives them like a side eye, which I feel like is her like she doesn't need to be staring directly at them. She can just kind of be standing there. And then she kind of like glances over. And that was what I thought was so striking about that scene was I was just like, this is a scene about just horribly twisted, sick desire, you know, desire that could be happy you know they could all go to san francisco and like have group <laughs> sex and it would have been fantastic but because they're in this horrible situation it's it's just See, this ugly my, dark thing. i think the way i felt about it was that she i sort of interpreted it as her it's unclear to me like what her like relationship with fred herself is it's unclear like their sexual dynamic seems to be shitty too yeah um so it seemed to me like they were having, even under the, like, horrible circumstances, like, they were having some kind of moment together that was, like, slightly real. And, like, she was, like, purely voyeuristic at that moment, right? Like, she... I, I saw jealousy. Yeah. Like, she was, like, oh, like, this still exists, right? Like, they're having sex. Yeah, I mean... It seemed like, you know, one of those, like, kind of she's she wants to look more, I think. It seemed to me like she kind of wanted to yeah. watch in some way. She but, like, did. I, I didn't necessarily hear read it. I mean, I do think there's, like, an element of that for sure, Annalie. But, like, I also sort of read it as, like, she's in this, like, very weird situation where, like, no one has – I mean, no one has had sex with that woman in however many years, right? Like, so, like, to watch two other people do that, even in under these like very weird circumstances. Um, like it does feel like maybe she's like, yeah, jealous that like she doesn't get to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It did make me feel weirdly more sympathetic toward her in a certain way because it showed both that she's very pragmatic because she sets up this uh, situation and she isn't totally buying into the religious stuff of like, we need to do it in this creepy way. She's like, we just need to have a baby. It doesn't really matter how we get the baby. 
No, uh, I mean, and she time. even says, I think, in the garden, like, that she thinks her husband's dick is broken, right? Like, she thinks he's, like, can't have kids, <laughs> right? Yeah. She's I wish like, she actually said that. <laughs> uh, basically, Fred's dick is broken. <laughs> yeah. So we all know. You know. <laughs> I find it interesting, a weird dynamic that she is the person who sets up, like, a, a situation where her husband's mistress can like cuckold her husband. <laughs> like it's a really strange, uh, yeah. Like obviously it's a means to an end for her, but there is this like back and forth between them. Right. Um, she says it in the garden and it feels like a threat, but it's also true that like, if she doesn't get pregnant, uh, she's going to be, you know, sent, they say sent to the colonies. I don't know what that means. Um, but it exposed to radiation. Bad. Yeah. Right. They're ex- yeah, not good. <laughs> and um and so like her entire, you know, life depends on her like conceiving. And it's unclear how long she has, but it seems like it's very finite, right? Like it's like six months. Is it a year? How long do they say that they give them? In the book it's two years. Okay. Wow. So it doesn't seem like it's been two. Yeah, maybe it's shorter because, you know, TV and stuff. But I love what you said about how she's getting her mistress to cuckold her (laughs) husband. It's really complicated. It's revenge. (laughs) And it's also like double cuck because I guess – no, wait. I guess she's being – cuckolded i don't <laughs> yes. i don't know the, there, there's a lot of math involved um in this cuckold right. cuck all the way down yeah it's super cuck but like yeah she's she's basically like th- this is a way that she can get revenge on her husband yeah i think so and i think that um if offred conceives via nick um i mean look she knows that the the baby's not going to be hers genetically right um I don't know if this is like a society which has rejected genetics, but basically they have, right? Because they have no choice. So whether or not a child is genetically yours is uh, for women, um, clearly neither here nor there. Um, it's get a baby by any means necessary. And that – But not science. Correct. Right. <laughs> which is also which is also very problematic for me, but I'm not going to hang up on it right now. But no, I always me. I will always hang up on that. But they're religious. <laughs> so that kind of no, like I, I actually think I think it makes complete sense that, that this religious order would reject science and then would just beat their heads against the Bible trying yeah. oh, to totally. make babies and trying to come up with all these contortions where they can somehow make babies in a way that's holy and anti-science. Um, and, and basically they're just shooting themselves in the foot over and over again. It's right. Like, and okay, in a way this that desexualizes sex. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, it totally makes sense. <laughs> Unlike the surveillance thing, which I'm – Yeah, <laughs> which kind of doesn't. Yeah. Like I think, yeah. I think even without like really ubiquitous like 23rd century like surveillance techniques, they, I, I do think that like, you know, we've had more surveillance than they do for a really long time, right? And so they're clearly like some kind of – I mean, there's also this sense, I think, which they haven't explored, and I don't know when they're going to, but I feel pretty strongly that they will, especially since they announced that there's going to be a second season. Um, yeah. That, that like, the U.S., to the extent that it exists, is completely out of step with the rest of the world now, 
right? They mentioned like they're they're having the the UN has embargoed the US. That's a huge deal, especially considering like the current well, maybe not current, but let's say four or five months ago position of the United States in the world. <laughs> um so what that means to me is that like, yeah, there would totally be a lot of um necessity for them to clamp down on on technology. That would be the first thing to go. That totally makes sense. I mean, when you hear someone like the president talk about, you know, what he wants to do, what he wants to do is go back to the good old days of like, I don't know, 1930, 1840, something like that. So I think that there is a sense that they're very anti like modernity to the extent that like that means freedom of information. And this society, I think more than anything is concerned about Right? Like they're obsessed with and I feel like maybe that maybe that's kind of the problem. It's not the surveillance for me that's a problem. It's it's that sort of they haven't explored they don't need to explore for me, like, why aren't there cell phones? Right? Because that's obvious <laughs> that there aren't cell phones. Cause like I'm looking at my phone the whole time. I'm watching the show going like, why doesn't she, what, you know, like, because cell phones would be hugely problematic. Like they would be for lots of like literary setups. But I do think that like, there are so many things missing that it kind of sticks out that they haven't explored that. Right. They haven't really explored. They haven't really commented upon the fact that like women, there's no books. There's, there is, I think there's TV, but like there's no music. There's not really music playing, right? Even Fred's wife doesn't seem to have access to like anything that she wants, right? So the information like is controlled. That makes sense to me. The the fact that they would do it, I think completely makes sense, but I feel like they haven't explored it enough and I'm not sure like when or where they're going to, but I do think it's related to the fact that this is like to some extent a very localized phenomenon, right? The rest of the world doesn't seem to have been in this kind of crisis. It's true. Yeah. Well, another thing, go ahead. We hear um, that, you know, Canada is kind of tooting along and they're still publishing (laughs) things on the internet. Um, And also there's that moment when Fred talks about how he's basically been in trade negotiations with Mexico and sounds kind of like they're begging Mexico to, to trade with them. So it's kind of, you know, we're in some sort of weird, you know, reverse NAFTA kind of situation where, right. you know, the U.S. is kind of a developing country and, um, you know, they're kind of there's some atomic disaster that's maybe wrecked the economy or um, we don't know. But, yeah, I want to see more of that outside world. I could believe that the U.S. became a closed regime um, and so they've clamped down on the internet, they've eliminated cell phones, all of that stuff could easily be true. We've seen it happen in, in regimes today where, you know, governments shut down Facebook, for example, um, for a short period of time or a long period of time. Um, so I just want to see that. Like, I just want the show to kind of acknowledge that and say, hello, this right. is, Cause I, yeah, you know, I feel like that would be some of the. I mean, I hate to say it, but like, this is the way that we live and they seem to have been in our world to a great degree. I think that like when that stuff went, it would be a big deal. And I think that it would be, it wouldn't be as big of a deal as saying women can't have jobs, but like on the other hand, it might be, you know, like if your internet disappeared or if your cell phone network like just was gone um, and you couldn't contact anyone in, in like you know, texting is like the main way that people contact each other now. I think that like it would be a huge fucking deal. And I think that if they don't have to deal with it in like 
a flashback. At least they could, I think, yeah, I would like to see that explored more very soon because I do think that the show overall suffers from not like what we're talking about where you get to the end of the episode and you don't want to watch it, which is definitely still true for me. It's not getting any better. Um, and I, I definitely want to explore like not whether the show is good or bad, but whether you think people like it. Um, cause I'm really interested cause I don't know if they do, but I do think that. I don't that know l- if they do either. I, I, yeah. I, I love it. Like I find it super fascinating and I, I get really like deeply involved and, um, it's hard for me to pull myself away from it, but it also is really toxic. So I always kind of feel like the yeah. way I do after I eat a lot of chocolate and I'm like, wow, that was really good. Now I want to kill myself. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um, I, feel I mean, not, you know, I, I don't mean to make light, but it is true that sometimes a lot of chocolate makes me feel that way. So, <laughs> <laughs> I think one other thing that I was thinking about just in light of um, surveillance in last week's episode is that we, you know, last week we talked a lot about how like this is a um, culture that seems to be largely based on perhaps a flawed interpretation of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder if like, cause you know, Lydia, Aunt Lydia has said a couple of times, like, you know, God is watching. And I wonder too, if like perhaps the surveillance, um, you know, th- they, perhaps the reason, the way that they're thinking about surveillance is like of the sort of um, like religious sense of like, oh, well, you know, we don't need to watch them because God's watching. Um, and I don't know if that's, I think that's like, kind of silly but it could be like that's sort of the explanation that they give or that's sort of like the way that it is like talked about in this world i think that like when i look at this world where you have commanders who have computers and are going to mexico and are making these trade negotiations then you have this like other class of women who are completely subjugated it doesn't make sense that you wouldn't have some sort of surveillance on top of them but it could be that like that's the explanation they give um, usually we end the show and we can talk about whether people like the show, um, or like whether people are enjoying it. Um, I mean, I think for me, it's like, it's like a lot of shows where it's like, I don't enjoy watching it. Like it's not fun for me. <laughs> um, but I do think it's interesting. I do. I, and I said this at last week, I, I actually think that like the reviews that it's getting that are so positive are like kind of weirdly positive to me. I don't think it's quite as good as like some of the reviews that I've read. Um, but I'm curious, like. You know, it got renewed for a second season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of questions about where the show goes even in this season in terms of, like, where are we going and, like, what happens. Yeah. Um, so I guess, like, you know, we often end the show with, like, predictions about what we think we're going to see. But I'm curious, like, where – like, where do we go? Like, what ha- – I mean, I feel like, you know, we're we're seeing plot. You know, things are happening. Obviously, like, her relationship with Fred and Nick have, has changed and changed a lot in this episode. But, I mean – for me, part of – and this kind of comes back a little bit to some of what we were just talking about is that, like, we're only seeing such a small sliver of the world that, like, I have a lot of questions about, like, is this just New England that's like this? Is this right. literally the whole United States? Like, what like what is the scope in which we're dealing? Um and I feel like they have to – if they want to, like, extend the show beyond, you know, this season or even beyond, like, the next couple episodes, like, I you kind of ha- – I feel like you have to start grappling with that because, like, at some point, like – I just need to know, like, what we're dealing with. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like what is the population of the United States now, right? Did most people die or are they still out there? Because, you know, I don't really need to see the world, but I need some, like, exposition, right? I need some more. They they did it kind of a lot at the beginning and – Maybe I just complain about everything and I was like, oh, maybe they're talking too much about what's going on in the world. Now I'm like, what the fuck is going on in the world? Because I think that (laughs) – I think that like they've been um, sort of 
developing character while sort of like chunking along through, I would say, the main plot themes of the book, right? But we are sort of quickly approaching exhaustion on the book and um, because the book is very short. (laughs) And I think that um, my guess is that like in the next episode or two, they're going to uh, deal with her daughter, her the whereabouts of her daughter. And they're going to – I think they have to further develop her relationship with Nick immediately or else we have no reason to have any hope and hope is the reason that people keep watching. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean I yeah. predicted more daughter stuff for this episode and I was wrong, but I do think the daughter has to like – has to come in somewhere. They're um, clearly you know, like we know working towards it in the flashbacks, yeah. I think. Yeah. 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 I definitely think, um, I mean, I agree with, I think you guys were both saying that it feels really slow and like there's nothing mm-hmm. really happening and we're treading water. And I, I actually have this problem where I, that usually doesn't bother me enough in a TV show. And so I get into like long arguments with my partner about like how, how I don't care that the show is going nowhere. Um, but I agree with this. Like we need more motivation for her. We need to understand the world um, in terms of what's going to happen. I mean, I think that Hulu is doing the same thing that Netflix often does with series, which is like, oh, well, we have all this space. So let's just have an episode where like all it's about is like people showing us their teeth and like, you know, wow, that that was a really toothy smile. And like now here's another one. <laughs> um, and like and that was, you know, and and again, like I I feel super invested in this world for whatever reason. Um, I mean, I grew up in a very conservative place, so maybe it feels like home or something. But um, I and so but I think we also have to there has to be the revolution. We have to know about May Day. Um, we need to see, um, June actually taking action. Um, I kind of want us to get away from the format of, um, flashbacks. I think that was great, but now we need to start having, um, I want to see what, what's happening with Moira because she Mm -hmm. was sent to the colonies. And I think we really need to see that. I want her to continue to be a major character um, I well, we love, don't know if she was sent to the colonies, right? Well, we hear a rumor that I mean, well, we hear the she, rumor. We hear from a rumor the that crazy she's dead. friend, yeah, that she's dead. She, yeah. she was sent to the colonies and is surely dead by now. Uh, yeah. And that's what the crazy. I don't think she's dead. No, I don't think she's dead either. And I, I would love to to see her and maybe find out, for example, that the colonies are just a lie. That there, it's that it's kind of like a a situation like the killing fields where people were kind of in in Cambodia, where people were like shipped out to the country and forced to do terrible labor and kind of died in droves, but like weren't actually being exposed to radiation. There's also this hint that we get, which is driving me nuts because early on we hear that the new capital of the United States is in Alaska. Anchorage, yeah. Anchorage. And then freaking Fred is constantly going to DC to do business. And I'm like, okay, like why? what is happening? Like, why are you (laughs) going to DC if like the capital is Anchorage? And so I don't know if that was like a mistake or if like there's something going on in Washington too, or I don't know, but it was like, it super annoyed me. Yeah. One thing I would say is like, for whatever reason, there is a sense. I have had it several times where like, I'm not sure if what they're showing me is like kind of not flubby, but just like flabbily put together or if it is leading somewhere. And so that kind of like troubles me a little bit, but I definitely feel like I have felt in certain 
scenes, maybe it's just like conspiracy thinking or whatever, that like we're in like a sort of weird like situation, like it's the village, you know, like, like hmm. I felt this in, I felt this in the book, I think, because the, 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 the disasters were always sort of vague and the colonies were always, always really vague and the fertility problems were very vague. And so at some point in, during the reading the book, I thought like, are they fucking lying about all this stuff? Like, is any of this even real? Are the fertility problems as bad as they've said? And we've talked about this. Are a they like bit, but... under a biodome or whatever? Right. Like, like, yeah. Right. And then that is why I think so. So if they're not widening the world and showing us other parts of it, um, is it intentional because something else is going on or have they just not gotten there yet? Or, you know what I mean? Like, so I do think yeah. that they're under pressure to sort of show us more of the world rather than just, I mean, the only stuff we've heard about the world outside of Gilead is like from Fred and then some like ill-informed, you know, handmaid or, you know, some, you know, it's like, it's all, and it's all like, mm, you know, gossip and the gossip seems to be like not reliable much of the time in this world. So I think that I sort of question everything that they say about what is going on in the world outside at this point. If it turns well, out to be easy, the village, if it turns out to be the village, I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to be so fucking pissed. Like it's, I'm going to be like, Laura predicted it. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, That's no, so that is not okay. <laughs> I do think I that they yeah. have a, an opportunity really soon. And I think we might see that in the next two episodes to show us a little bit more of the outside world. Um, in the, uh, when we see Moira, we have a flashback of Moira because we have her getting on the subway right and like then she goes somewhere and you know i think we're gonna see her in the same way that we saw emily kind of like going you know off into like her you know punishment and whatever and and all of that um i think that we're gonna see moira go off and kind of like tell us a little bit more of that world building stuff that we're all kind of like hoping for of like wait so like how did this get to be like this? Why are they making these decisions? Like, what's happening? Um, and I think there's an easy way for them to do that, right, is that you just have Moira do that, right, where you see her walking around in this world, you know, and trying to figure out what the hell is going on and kind of getting some of the, like, exposition stuff done. Um, and then, you know, see, seeing what happens to her. Because I, I, I am quite invested in her. And I do think they also, like, if they want to turn June, if June is really going to be our main, main character for this whole thing. I mean, in the book, she's, like, um, she's very passive, Right. And she she sort of doesn't take the opportunity to get involved in the resistance and she doesn't, you know, do any of that stuff. I think that for the show to work that she can't – she has to be kind of a little bit more of a heroine to us. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like, we're going to see her kind of take the reins and, and do a little bit more. And I think we're seeing that a little bit. They tried to do that in this episode, right, where she kind of takes control um, at the end of the episode and kind of, like, does stuff. And sort of does, instead of letting things happen to her, she kind of, like, takes control and, and does something on her own accord. Um and sort of seemingly inspired perhaps by Emily's like road rampage, um, <laughs> which I, yeah, which is very funny. Is the road um, rampage thing in the book, by the way? No, no, not at all. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so I think you want to wrap there. I know there's like a billion things to talk about, but I am feeling for John who was going to have to edit all of this together. Yeah, no, I yeah. think that's a good, <laughs> we've, we've all given our, our angsty predictions. Um, okay, so. <laughs> cool. Um, so that's episode five of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, thank you for listening. And thank you so much, Annalie, for coming yeah, on and uh, talking to us about this. This was really fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was great. 
Thanks for listening. Subscribe or rate us on Apple Podcasts or find more ways to subscribe at theoutline.com slash podcasts. We'll be back in a week and every week for new episodes. I'm Laura June. I'm Rose Eveleth. Under his eye. Under his eye. Blessed be. (laughs) 